I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Megan, we're back. We're back, Tyler. You're really giving emphasis to that great American story thing in your delivery today. I like it. I really felt like it's important. This episode, I feel like, really connects to some American themes. So I was in my mind as I was watching it and rewatching it. Okay. I watched this one a bunch of times. Tell me about that. What uh, what made you connect with this one, Tyler? This feels like pure comfort food to me. Like mm-hmm. there's an, I don't know, like released from the the cringe of, of the Jan of it all. Uh, this feels like just kind of classic um, office bits. And I love all the characters are involved. Everybody's got a little piece of, you know what I mean? Like there's not, yeah. there's there's a bunch of scenes, a bunch of different um, settings. We leave the office. So this, this feels yeah. really, it feels like an ensemble piece to me and uh, and maybe not too witchy so I could enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Dwight, but you're right. So this maybe is Traveling is. Salesman and it's interesting to, the format of this breaking it up and having these different little sales teams really does give everybody a chance to do something big, but not requiring a huge amount of plot. Like they can just go kind of have their vignette. Like they've got their little scenes and that's it. And that's all that it has to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I enjoyed it. What, as we, as we, Prepare to discuss. What's your mood? What's your vibe with The Office? How did you feel rewatching this? Where's your head at? I feel I'm feeling good. I this might surprise you. This is not an episode that I remember as like a favorite episode or as a super classic or something like that. But then when I watch it and I watch it multiple times. It reminds me there's I think there are so many really great lines in this. So it's it's got a different feel for me than, say, Back from Vacation, which right. is my more intense, most delightful of office experiences. But this is pretty great. Yeah, I, sometimes you need a palate cleanser. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. you just need like a, a, a good B plus or something. Uh, <laughs> not, not yeah, every good grade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. My students don't always agree, but I think so. Um, you don't get it wrong. Yeah. But this episode also is going to give us a lot of, I got a lot of random questions to ask you, a lot of just straight up Megan questions. So I'm really okay. to to uh, dive in. But um, before we do that, shall we head over to the receptionist desk? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Well, I have no emails. Uh, so it's a good time to remind everybody you should email us if we still yeah. have listeners. Do we have listeners? Have you, do you look at our stats? Yeah, we do. We've got listeners. We never tell them our e- email though. So why don't we so do you, that now? <laughs> you're saying this is on us. Well, not necessarily, but we will find out. Uh, well, if you would like to email us and I strongly encourage that you do, uh, you can reach us at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com uh, yeah you can't forget it the best office hours podcast 
at yeah. gmail.com. So yeah, email you can email us suggestions for new segments. You can email us questions, queries, criticisms, connections, uh uh, you know, office supplies you would like us to review. Office supplies, you know, whatever, whatever you have in mind. Um, so whether we should get rid of the supply shelf entirely. Yeah, I was waiting for some feedback on that, but we've got radio silence so far. So <laughs> um, yeah. As part of receptionist desk, though, I do have a little quiz for you. Ooh, okay. Since I almost feel like this is unfair and it might be too difficult because uh -oh. As we know, you started out not really watching, having watched a lot of The Office, not really knowing what exactly you were in for. But we also know that you have started to sneak ahead a little bit against no. the territory. But I don't know quite how far you've gotten. And so that's where I don't know if um, you've been given the material for this test yet. Okay, okay. I'll find out. So this was from a very sweet Instagram comment from the Helen Hudson. And Helen wrote this. I want to know if you can identify the source that this references. Okay. It was, was something this, in it's something in the office. Was this specifically addressed to me, like as a quiz for me, or you're taking the comment and no, I'm taking it as a quiz for you. Okay, fair enough. I love this. Okay. Okay. I know you like a good quiz. You know I do. All right. Um, so here's the comment. Makes me smile when I see there's a new episode. That's tomorrow's train journey sorted. Smiley face. Now here's the part where the, the quiz question applies. Do not, for any reason, at any time, stop doing what you're doing. So this is a, a, a reference to an episode of The Office. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's one that we have for seen. For any reason, at any time. No, it is not one that we've seen. Okay. All right. Well, so and is the question which character said it or in what context they said it? Which character? Do not for any reason. Say it again one more time. Do not for any reason at any time stop doing what you're doing. Is it a gym? Is that gym? It is not a gym. Damn. Is it, it a is it is a Michael. Okay. What's it's the context? Michael Scott. It is in <laughs> the episode. Wait, let me see which season this is. Um, it's not until season five. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, it is the duel. But... Um, <laughs> the duel? Uh, so there is this... Oh, wait. I need to find the whole... The full... Um, whoa. Why did I not look this up ahead of time? Okay. Michael Scott. Do not for any reason quote. I got to get the full the full thing for you so <laughs> he says and this is in an interview he says do not for any reason do anything to anyone for any reason ever no matter what no matter where or who or who you are with or where you are going or where you've been ever for any reason whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this great like there's i've seen posters of that you can get um it's just this great michael line and he's actually talking to i hope i'm getting the details of this right i should have uh, looked up the scene before this but i failed to do so um i can regret that next time but he's talking to david oh wait i don't think i should expose all this yeah. it's just 
it's a conversation. Okay, so he's talking. Will to I David. remember? I don't know. You know, he's talking to David Wallace, and his like, what do I reveal and what do I not? But basically, the Scranton branch has been doing fairly well, and David asks him why, what he's doing right, and it's a similar. It reminds me a lot, actually, of when Jan tells him in the previous episode that we watched that she wants to be with him, and you're just like watching his eyes kind of catch up to what this information is and not know what to do with it. And it's sort of like that where he's like, this is really not what I'm expected. So he just launches into this sentence that means nothing. And he's constantly just like adding on ramps to the sentence, but he never figures out where to go. Um, and I think he says afterwards, something like, you know, sometimes I just begin a sentence and I have no idea where it's going <laughs> to Um I'll come back. I'll come back and revise and regret any details here that I'm I'm getting wrong, but that's the gist. Well, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry I shrewded the quiz. Um, nice. I shrewded it. Uh, shrewded it bad. Yeah, which is, yeah, I don't know if you heard it. It's just this thing that people say <laughs> around the office all the time. Like when you screw something up in a really irreversible way, you shrewded it. Um, <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, though. Um, do you think Tyler. it comes from Dwight Schrute? I, I love it when you play it cool and you um, <laughs> say things like, not sure if you've heard of it. I think you should do that more. That could be my brand. Um. <laughs> that could be your brand. But I will say Andy's got, Andy is on one hand intolerable in this episode. He's awful, yeah. but he has some really great lines. He's fucking funny in this. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he makes me cringe sometimes in ways that are uncomfortably close. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's unpack well, that. Uh, we will unpack we will. that. Do you have, I do have a, a brief item for accounting. Oh yeah. Let's stroll over to accounting. Uh, yeah. I keep sort of jumping into the episode and then jumping back out and then jumping in and out. We're, I mean, we're like a jazz, you know, <laughs> podcast, you know, it's, it's, it's all rhythm and spontaneity, but we know. Yeah, doing, like uh, Michael playing basketball. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, I also have revisions and regrets because I have started to write them in my phone. So Tyler, I'm so, so happy for this. Start us off. Uh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, well, first, I, I was thinking as I was listening back that... Uh, I didn't, we didn't, I don't know if we really made much of the fact that Michael emails the photo as opposed to texting it. And I was thinking that oh, it's yeah. really like a mark of the time that yeah. like to communicate an email, like, which is not to say that he oh, could, yeah. wouldn't be a picture, but like he has this picture probably that he took with a digital camera that he uploaded, I assume, um, yes. computer and then. Because haven't we've seen him? Did he have a digital camera at the Christmas party, or was he that did. A, I suppose, nice a, connection? He did. Um, so I was just thinking that was a, that was a, a neat kind of sign of the times because now, yeah, he would he would have texted it to uh, Packer, who then maybe would have sent it at, to everybody, or he would yeah. have accident he would have been trying to text it but accidentally uploaded it to Instagram or something like that, but. Um, so that was the first thing I thought I didn't really yeah. big deal. You're right. Those the digital camera days too, that always took a lot of effort to load it onto your computer, I think. So there were a lot of steps there. 
And then in the same uh, conversation, we never talked really about the fact that um, Packer says they wouldn't even give you a subscription to Maxim magazine. <laughs> Um, and that Michael is basically like this picture could be in Maxim. And I thought that was another like quintessential thing of the early to mid 2000s was like mm-hmm. Max magazine and the idea that like Playboy is over penthouses, basically like pornography, buying printed magazine pornography is over. It's like trashy, presumably because now you get it for free on the Internet. But mm-hmm. what's cool or whatever or trendy was something like Maxim. And mm-hmm. that like went, it feels to me like that went away so quickly. Although, you know, what do I know? But I mean, it seemed like it went away with all magazines essentially just yeah. going online. So I have no idea like what Maxim, if it still exists or what it's like now. But I just that was another time capsule that I wanted to mention. Way to historicize Maxim. I love that. Thank you. It also is one of Michael's magazine subscriptions. Oh, right. Or, along with Cracked and uh, yep. I don't know, whatever else. American Way magazine. <laughs> That's right. I think about Michael's American Way subscription way more often than anyone should. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's the extent of my um, revisions. What about you? Okay. I have one regret. I've talked about DiCaprio too much on this podcast. It's very embarrassing. Not at all. After after we uh, we got into that last time, I was like, oh my God, we talked about this on the boat episode when he references Titanic. How do I always get here? It's embarrassing. I apologize. Uh, I regret your regret. No. <laughs> I mean, on some level, it feels like I've trapped you into talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, and, and we could definitely blame you for this. Yeah, That's blame me, blame option. me. Yeah, America, blame me. Um, and international <laughs> listeners as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, we have no supply shelf. So, I, yeah, I got nothing, nothing on my mind. No pen-based stories. Have we this. established where in the office our like analysis of the episode takes place? Is it the conference room? Oh, you know what? You asked about this once and we answered it. I think the answer was the conference room. I feel sometimes doing this podcast like I'm the guy in Memento where like every episode I'm like, this entire no memory that we've done this or that I (laughs) have you ever written something like for an essay and you um, like discover it? Okay, like. You're like, you write something for an essay and then you're like going through your notes and then you find that you basically like wrote that same exact paragraph like (laughs) six months earlier or four weeks early. Do you, have you ever had this happen before? No. How would it come back to me? I always think, I actually sometimes think if I hit a point where I eventually come up with a good idea and I'd say it's like 98% of the time is suffering and feeling like writing is getting nowhere. And then there's like 2% where you're like, oh, I actually just came up with something. And I sometimes think if I didn't sit down and write in this particular place, in this particular moment, this thing never would have come. Or like, what would it have been instead? I feel like it's so, what's the word for that? Ephemeral. Mm. Mm. But you find that you have written the same thing at different times. Well, that might be because I don't have original ideas or <laughs> because <laughs> I have one idea that I have, am moving to death. I don't know, but uh, 
But I've definitely had that experience of like, oh, yeah, like, all right, that's how I'm going to say it. And then found that I had already basically said that in another play, you know, in like my notes yeah. or whatever, and then been like, oh, shit. Yeah. Why did uh, I struggle with this so much? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I guess I'm not good at like memory mm -hmm. stuff. And nobody has volunteered to be our show archivist, you know, so... I don't know. We need we need somebody to be our um yeah, I don't know what would you call that? Yeah, archivist. I'm going to I'm going to put it as that. No, but it's yeah, it's it's a weird experience of self-documentation and then having it committed on a public record. Sometimes I wonder if when we listen back to these we can like see like traces of what we what was going on in our lives or what we were working on that we don't talk mm -hmm. about. Hmm. Uh, anyway but <laughs> nice little psychoanalysis of the podcast <laughs> but let's move on from that <laughs> we like take this into a therapist be like what do you think is my underlying issue yeah, what do you get out of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're gonna be like well it seems like you're really into leonardo dicaprio and uh <laughs> why don't you ever give your email address out and as uh, as Stanley has taught us, sometimes women say more in their pauses. <laughs> in their words. You come back to that line all the time, and I feel as if it is like a, a touchstone for you or something. Like I feel like <laughs> it's a it's a win, it's a truth that matters for you. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've established then that uh, Stanley's line and Michael's American Way subscription are touch points for me. That's right. That's right. Whereas, as we'll discover, Andy, Andy's uh, Willy Wonka is for me. But um, I wondered about, I was going to ask you about this. <laughs> you know like, me too fucking well, man. This might be a controversial point between us. Should we give a summary? Yeah, let's just, let's jump right to it. All so right, give okay. this is season three, episode 12. Uh, 13. We, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I apologize. You've been off on episode numbers lately, Tyler. The uh, transcript that I'm looking at has 12, but I think it's because they mushed. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't care for that. That This is not, I don't like these transcripts that we have. No, we don't have great. We we need, yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. So season three, episode 13, uh, Traveling Salesman. Jim and Dwight reluctantly pair up for sales calls. Dwight covers for Angela when she misses a deadline. Now, perhaps we should begin with Harvey, a new character. <laughs> I love how you called him a new character. <laughs> That's so welcoming, Tyler. Yep, so Michael has Jim come into his office. And uh, he has post-its, post-it eyes on the back of his computer and a mouth. And Harvey is talking. This Is this an early encounter with AI? Yeah, this is chat GPT right here. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Did you ever get like, you know, type into the Google Translate? I guess that's not what it would have been, but, you know, but made it say things. Did you ever do this? Never did this. This does not seem interesting to me at all. <laughs> but I guess it is. It's like, what does uh, by typing it into a computer and having Harvey say it? What does it allow Michael to say that he wouldn't say otherwise, or that he maybe would but would get in trouble for? 
Yeah. So he says, Jim sucks. Pam looks very hot today. Uh, <laughs> um, that he's horny. Uh, <laughs> and then he has some spelling trouble. Uh, oh, and then he says boobs. Now I have yeah. to say, I, I, I suspected uh-huh. that this cold open is one of your all time favorites. Here's why I suspected. <laughs> I did. This is like my least favorite cold open. Are you serious? I don't know you at all. You're a mystery to me. I'm a mystery, Tyler. Uh, Mystery. But please, I want to hear why. And this might completely change my mind. Okay. Because, you know, basically the cold open like leads up to um, Jim and Pam leaving. And then Michael says, has Harvey say boobs. And then Michael looks at the camera and he like laughs. And then snorts and like he's so oh, yeah. gleefully, playfully, boyishly charmed by his own infantile joke. And I was like, <laughs> this, I feel like this is your love language. I think it's your, I picture it as the thing that you're attracted to in Michael for some reason is this his like snorting, oh, chortling laugh. However, as I say that out loud, is that what I'm attracted to in Michael? And I'm just projecting it onto you. Unclear. Oh, but that I, first, I really thought you loved this. There's a real question. But you're right. I do love that about Michael. I love it when he delights in something and when he looks at the camera and when he, he laughs at his own jokes. I do love that. Maybe it's that this kind of computer voice is just so off-putting to me that I can't quite get fully into it. It doesn't feel like a very well-realized bit. And I was trying to come up with some way to connect it to the episode, you know, to sound smart and be like a literary. Oh, you always do a good job with that. You're the one who's bringing in fucking like actual literary connections. So I'm desperately trying to be like, uh. No, you can always, you always leave the uh, opening to the episode as a whole. I could not. Can you do it here? I can't, I could not figure out how to link it. Maybe we will find our way into it. But I will say I discovered, I learned something about this that I didn't know. Well, let me just mention maybe aside from looking at Michael and his laugh at the end, maybe my favorite thing is when he says, get Pam. And Jim says, for this? <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. For this? Yeah. The way that he <laughs> says it. So funny. Really, really funny. But. I had no idea where that line, me so horny, me love you long time, came from. Did you know about this? The source? Is it like a war movie or something like that? Yes, it's Full Metal Jacket. Oh. So I just heard this to me was one of those phrases like, love you long time. Like, I remember I had a friend in college who used to always say, love you long time. And I just really associated it with him. Oh. And that was a particular thing. But let me read a little excerpt so it comes so it's from this movie full metal jacket and um it's kubrick right it's what isn't that stanley kubrick i'm not sure yes i think so okay i think so Um, and i think it is i think it's set during um the vietnam war and it's um a, oh, wait here. I'm trying to find my quote. Okay. So listen to this description. Um, and this is from, oh, who's the writer here? 
uh, I'm not saying it. It's from it's from Esquire, though, is the, the magazine that it's in. It says um, to to many Asian women hearing the phrase me love you long time can be completely dehumanizing and traumatic. Yet this hasn't stopped the phrase from casually entering various areas of pop culture, schoolyards and the music and fashion industries. It's a weaponized phrase deployed to put down Asian diaspora women and to make us a joke. It's used to reduce Asian and Asian American women to sex objects. I had no idea of this. So then it goes on and it says that the um, line, me so horny, me love you long time. The words originally were spoken by actress Papillon Susu, who portrays a Vietnamese sex worker soliciting American GIs in the 1987 Stanley Kubrick film, Full Metal Jacket. And so it's like in a really bad accent and it's supposed to be, I didn't realize too that the me so horny and me love you long time that it was supposed to be like poorly spoken English or something. Right, right. Um, I just thought it was a, I don't know, like a jokey wording, but um, I looked, so as I was looking for it then I was like, oh, I, uh, I saw some reference to 40 year old virgin and Steve Carell does that line in the really bad accent in 40 year old virgin. Oh, so it's also like a reference to that. Interesting. Weird, right? Yeah. It's really, it's interesting that it comes up here uh-huh. just because it's so detached from any of those contexts. Yeah. Um, but I will say, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white area and, you know, high school and people would say that in that accent hmm. regularly. So I, I've i seen Full Metal Jacket. I forgot that that's where it came from. And like, but I just remember it being this kind of, yeah, like, um, I don't know, stereotypical, but like jokey, you know, racist thing, you know, but like, what's so interesting to me is that you didn't have any of that context. Like, so your friend said this thing. Um, I don't know, there's something really interesting to me about how, like, it's only much after the fact that you have that context, you know, or that, that yeah. One... yeah. And I feel kind of ignorant on the one hand, but, um, yeah and then like seeing in this episode when it's in the computerized voice so then you don't know that it's supposed to be in this demeaning accent and in college too i never heard it in an accent like i had no idea that there was that thing and so i was just like oh love you long time it's just like you know i really like you you're a really good friend (laughs) oh my god i love you that's so sweet (laughs) But it's also, I mean, even here, right? Like you could imagine some kid seeing this episode and that's their reference for saying that, you know, yeah. and sort of not yeah. having the, um, what do you want to, like genealogy or something sort of behind it. Um, yeah. Which, I, you know, I don't know what to do with that, but that's really, you know, how insidious, I guess, and and um, and far these things can travel. Like it would be interesting to rewatch like, as far as I remember, isn't, I think Full Metal Jacket's kind of like an anti-war film. I don't know how it depicts Vietnamese people, let alone sex workers or whatever. But like, you know, it's it's so strange that this thing from that movie 
yeah, has traveled so far and many people probably haven't even seen the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it is really interesting how a line like that can escape its context. And so that now, like I could see myself going and repeating that in like a computerized voice. And like really offending somebody because I just, yeah, I don't know. So it's just, it's it's an interesting um, thing about language and its context and all the layers of what it communicates. Yeah. And what's cool about that piece that you read is sort of showing how like, you know, while, you know, some of us white folks might be not having that context, right? Like, yeah, it sounds like this is written by somebody who uh, is an Asian woman. Was that right? Like, yeah, I believe so. You know, and like would be, you know, keyed in instantly to that, mm-hmm. to all the legacies of that. That's really. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. So it made me think back in connection to um, to Michael and the waitresses from Benny yes, right. That discussion and him, you know, not knowing their names and not being able to tell them apart. And so this coming just a couple of episodes later is, I don't know, just kind of an interesting point of connection. I mean, not to, yeah, I don't want to like, uh, I don't know whatever but it is just it is interesting that in the original kind of this the original iteration and in its uptake for kind of racist caricature or whatever the emphasis is on like a kind of broken english and a and a stereotypical accent here like (laughs) michael types it wrong it's michael's broken english that keeps like so he says me lobe yo yo long time um or long tim yeah the first time he types it long tim yeah so it's just kind of interesting that like i don't know how much they were trying to kind of undermine or reorient whose english is broken here i don't know oh my god that's so smart tyler because with this one i was like where is the or is that built is, is any critique of this built into it as off as a critique often is with this show, but there it is. That is so smart, Tyler. I did not put those things together at all, but you are so right that this becomes about making fun of Michael's English and taking up and mocking specific things that he says. I would not have thought of that until you brought up the, all of the context for it. It's really is this good? Is this a good cold <laughs> open? I don't know. I don't know. Heather, you might've talked me in, <laughs> into this actually being a favorite. That That is just really, really interesting and subtle and complicated, but there is something there with language for sure. So then our basic, we have two parallel plots essentially. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you want to deal with them in turn, but, but to me, what's kind of interesting about this episode is like, there isn't, there are plots, but it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I love when there's not much plot. Like I'm a, I do love a plot, but anyway, so plot one is that Angela has, um, I guess forgotten to mail in the tax forms on time. They were due, they're due this morning and they were, I guess, or they were supposed to arrive last night or whatever, or they didn't get a. Anyway, the point is that um, Dwight drives them to New York City, delivers them surreptitiously, and uh, Angela is overjoyed. But this sets up the suspicions that Andy will plant for Michael, 
And then meanwhile, Michael is having everybody go out on sales calls as pairs. And this was interesting on my rewatch. I hadn't quite caught this the first time that this was Andy's suggestion that <laughs> uh, he said, since this was your idea, you get to pick first. So they all pair off and they go out. And one thing that I kept thinking about in that pairing and throughout this whole episode was Megan's theory of character, how like we kind of get to see these characters tested and we learn new things about them when they're in these different settings or when they're paired up in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one thing I was excited to get your take on is like how the pairings, what the pairings tell us about the characters and what their, mm -hmm. what their sales strategies reveal about them or about uh, something about, uh, I don't know, sales, but yeah. Where yes. do you start? These pairings are so so great um hmm do you have one of them so i think i think maybe we kind of work through the pairs that's a great idea um you know i kind of want to start with phyllis and and karen oh uh, yeah let's do phyllis and karen cool with that so um andy picks michael and then uh michael says going by seniority phyllis our resident senior she's <laughs> out there the same age and she picks Karen and Karen says, oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> I was slightly confused. However, on rewatch, I was like, is it because Karen and Jim wanted to pair up? That was their. Yeah, I think that was kind of the assumption that they would go together. Do you have a theory on why uh, she picked Karen? I think she just likes Karen. I guess she's the one other, the one other woman who's there and uh, she likes her and she tells her at the end, she thinks she's a nice person. Yeah. I really like that line reading of Phyllis uh, yeah. by the way, but um, yeah, there it's the only other woman, but also it, as we discover Phyllis's like sales strategy is basically to look yes. like this guy's wife. Yes. And so on the one hand that requires them getting, like uh, makeovers which i have questions about as a person who hasn't had a makeover i have i'm confused on what it is and entails but okay <laughs> but um but uh yeah it did make me wonder if that was part of her strategy it was like i'm gonna pick karen yes. who will make this guy you know uh excited that's a great that's a great point i didn't think about the the strategy of it or the strategy of the original choice but i think that strategy of getting the makeover to look like the guy's wife is brilliant. So yeah. Phyllis pulls over, Karen's surprised she doesn't know what they're doing, but they go to this particular salon and get these, make get their hair done, a kind of big, high hair, brightly colored, kind of, I'd say sort of gaudy looking makeup, like very different than the way that they typically do their makeup. And so clearly Karen is uncomfortable with the way that she looks after this and I really like the way it's delivered where it isn't revealed until the very end of the sale why Phyllis has done this yes. and it's when at the end she asks how is oh what's the wife's name again how's uh, Annie I think Annie yeah Kenny and, Annie. Annie. and the guy um who she's selling to has just done a bit he's just given them a big sale so they have succeeded 
And he turns a picture around and says, uh, oh, this is the two of us in Bermuda, I think. Yep. And we see then that the wife has exactly the style. Love Phyllis here. She does that little kind of winky look to the camera. And it's just great. I think it's such a smart idea. And that it also creates some parallels with Andy. And when he first came to Scranton, his theory of personality mirroring. Oh, that makes you likable. And so I think that this is really interesting as a persuasive technique is to make themselves likable by making themselves similar to what they know he likes. It's interesting. It suggests that to be a, okay, so it's traveling salesman, Mm -hmm. which I was like, you know, should we mention the gender of it all? Um, they don't say salespeople, just saying, yeah. who sell, whatever. Uh, but I, you know what? I think I would rather call myself a salesman than a saleswoman or a salesperson. Salesperson feels so awkward. Like I totally get the intent here. However, I would, for myself, I embrace salesman. I am, I'm like desperately trying to, you know, hold it down for feminism on this podcast, but <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Okay. So, um, but it basically, maybe each of them have a different theory of what selling entails or selling. Yeah, yeah. What to what it means to be a salesman, and in this case, it's I I don't know. Is it too strong to say like sex sells, or just that there's a kind of yeah. an, an element, an extraneous element of desire that is not about what you're buying, but about the experience. Although actually, all of them kind of testify to that but in this case it's about physical appearance Mm -hmm. i mean like feels like a conventional idea about femininity as display but it is interesting like what's kind of cool about it is that yeah like we don't know until the end that it's a manipulative display and um, which is another kind of i don't know stereotype about femininity like Mm -hmm. but in anyway in this case i i thought it was really interesting but do you, is there, do you think that, I don't know. Well, I was going to ask a more general question about makeup, but. Right. Well, do you, do you think that people that makeup and how people dress, do you think of it more as an expression of who you are, like, and how you want to be seen? Or do you see it more as like what you want to attract and like how you want to be um desired and i'm not saying that those are mutually exclusive but do you yeah what do you think that's a good question and i feel like it's i feel like it's very hard to entangle and um so it's kind of the the question too like do you do you do it for yourself or do you do it for other people and i think the thing that we want to say and I wear makeup. I love eyeliner in particular. And I think the thing that <laughs> I think the thing that we want to say, but that I'm a little bit skeptical of is like, we do it for ourselves because it makes us feel good. And it's an expression of what I like. And, you know, I'm sharing that with the world, but I'm like, what I like and what I think is cool and what I think makes me feel strong or attractive or whatever is so entangled with all of the messages you know that you receive about 
what is beautiful and what are you supposed to do and how are you supposed to look so that even when you're resisting it and even when you're not trying to do it in exactly the idealized way, that in itself is um, affected and is shaped by the very thing that you're trying to resist. Mm. So it's it's one of those where I, I feel like the the kind of empowerment claim that we want to make is not fully persuasive. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's really, it's really interesting. And I think it's an interesting choice then that the episode doesn't have them, I don't know, like dress, let's say in whatever conventional way that we would think of sexy. You know what I mean? Like they are kind of, to me, it reads as like a very New Jersey, like 1980s kind of um, aesthetic, you know, the big hair, the, the, um, yeah, uh, I don't know, color, very colorful makeup. I don't know. Yeah. Not subtle. And, uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, it's because if they had gone in a different direction, it feels like it would have a different, it would be making a different point about. Yeah. attractiveness and social norms um yeah anyway it is you're right because it's not suggesting that in order to sell you just make yourself sexy as if there is just one kind of defined version of what that means but that you actually have to be more savvy and more sophisticated about it because it is like there are these different different versions of it and they have to pick the right one it's not about unbuttoning that top button or whatever yeah but it really is about picking the right one so it's and that's where i think the kind of personality mirroring thing is where it really is specific to this guy yeah 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 which i think is i don't know maybe this is just heteronormativity or whatever but i was charmed that he's so in love with his wife and a like yes. you know people having presumably having you know looking similar to her is uh, uh enough to close the deal or whatever i don't know yeah I found that yeah. good for you kenny uh i don't know yeah. <laughs> um good anything, else, anything else you want to say about the the phyllis and or phyllis um karen, uh, well, karen we, we do have to wrap after they after the sale yeah, mm-hmm. you already mentioned the line because I was curious what you made of when she says, I think you're a nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, where is the line where she basically says, uh, you can pay me for the makeover later? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of all that? Um, yeah, so she said, Karen says, thanks. That was fun. Phyllis, yeah, I really enjoy spending time with you. You're a very nice person. Karen, thank you. Phyllis, I'm so glad you're with Jim. He was hung up on Pam for such a long time. Never thought he would get over her. Karen, looking uncomfortable, says, that's nice. And Phyllis, you can pay me back for the makeover later. I thought there was something really sweet about the first part of this. Just straight out telling her, I enjoy spending time with you. You're a very nice person. Um, And partly because, I don't know, I feel like we kind of, often treat that as being a romantic gesture or the kind of thing you say to somebody just when you're trying to date them, yeah. but not to somebody that you just like. Yeah. 
we don't get to just tell each other that we like each other in that way. So there's just, I thought there was something very sweet about that. Um, it did seem to, I think that Phyllis, Phyllis um, felt for Jim in his hurt over Pam, but of course this exposed a lot to Karen. I couldn't, my, okay, so my first watch, I was like, oh, Phyllis is shady. She is stirring the pot. But on a second watch, I started to question that. And I thought, okay, she she seems genuine about the, you're being a very nice person. But she also has boundaries, like you can pay me for the makeover. Like, and and we get the impression that Phyllis, you know, is like, keeps an eye on her money like she's not gonna you know like she wants to get paid back or whatever mm -hmm. so I was like okay that doesn't necessarily mean she's being shady or whatever so the line yeah I'm so glad you were Jim he was hung up on Pam for such a long time never thought he would get over her my initial read was like whoa what are you doing on the other hand it's not crazy to assume that Karen knows about yeah Pam and yeah why wouldn't she like why wouldn't you know theoretically jim have said that on the other hand i don't know how i don't know how how it works but it just seems like it's not crazy for phyllis to assume that and then that could even be a compliment like it could be like you're so great i'm glad he ended up with you as opposed totally to yeah yeah that's how i how i took it how i felt like she meant it and she was kind of assuming better from Jim like right just that he would have been open about like what had happened and his feelings and all of that stuff and uh did she's happy happy he's with Karen I thought Jim was a a bit of a scumbag when he uh when she confronts him oh yeah yeah right. that is that is kind of painful so she so once they're back at the office she asks him if he wants to go for coffee and do you have the line the way that she asks you about this i do um so let me ask you a question okay mm -hmm. did you ever have a thing for pam pam did i ever have a thing for her no why did she say something i moved here from connecticut yeah okay here's the i had a crush on her before i left and i told her about it and she didn't feel the same way so it didn't amount to anything and i left I'm really glad you're here, Kay. Kay. Hmm. Your thoughts. Karen is such a good sport. Such a good sport. She, I like it how she, she is direct. She asks the question. She pushes on it when he doesn't answer. Um, she is so patient with him. And... Jim, oh, Jim, just keep trying to walk around this thing with, you know, incomplete and partial truths. And uh, yeah, I feel for I feel for Karen a lot. It's definitely partial truth. Um, I mean, he. I would argue he lies, you know, when he says, yeah. no, why did she say something is yeah. really interesting. Too. Yes. Like, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. anyway. I don't know. I just think Karen deserves a better. And, uh, you know, that's yeah, I think so, too. You're right, because it's like he starts from just kind of the straight up line and then is like, oh, wait, that's not going to work. She's definitely got me on this. Let me just give her like a nugget, um, you know, tell her part of it, which 
interestingly, that was <laughs> that was his approach with Pam too. When this story came out, you know, was to say, um, oh, you know, I liked you a long time ago when we started. And then Michael outs him. But anyway. Um, well, okay. I picked Phyllis and, and Karen. Do you want to pick the next pair? Yeah. Well, since Jim is coming up, why don't we talk about why don't we talk about Jim and Dwight? And this Tyler. Was this complicated for you because you hate Jim and you love Dwight? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, yeah, it it charmed me. It charmed you. Okay, because I want to know, did you hate Jim as a salesman or was he, to quote your point about Ryan, a little bit sexy? I would say, I, I, uh, sexy, I don't know. Not Strap. yet. Not yet. Uh, Jim might get sexy for me, but not yet. And uh, okay. <laughs> um, but I love the photo of Dwight and Jim as like young salesmen. And love that. Yeah. I love this backstory that they used to go on sales calls all the time. Um, yes. So I thought that was kind of an interesting. I didn't. Th that was a question I had was like, OK, what's the. The only context we have, as far as I know, for sales calls is that Packer is on the road all the time, <laughs> right? Like selling stuff. And so I was sort of like, do they no longer do this because they just cold call places? Or mm -hmm. are they still like driving out of the office on a regular basis to meet with local businesses? I mean, I guess the the only version of this we've really seen is the Chili's dinner, right? Um, yeah, yeah. With... Uh, uh, whatever the, the county um the yeah. Lackawanna school. County yeah so I was just it was interesting to kind of get this um because yeah it made me wonder where we are in kind of uh selling time you know like yeah. and that, when I said the American story at the beginning this is what I was thinking of was oh. like, there is definitely a time it feels like in the United States when the traveling salesman who goes door to door selling knives and, and shit mm. it's like a icon was a figure you know what i mean and like that is not our era anymore i know it's different here because they're going to businesses but still it just recall oh, yeah but anyway i was impressed by their selling ability and i was like okay you know um and i guess this is like this is the point where a marxist should be like that's the problem with this show fair enough but uh <laughs> to be fair though they their whole sales pitch is basically like the big corporate, um, you know, box stores are going to fuck you over and treat you like a number, whereas we will treat you like a human being. Um, yes. Still capitalism, but uh, I I was like sold on that pitch. I found Dwight to be the slightly more effective partner. But what were your thoughts? They were. So I think that they were a great team, a great pair. I liked how this added nuance to their relationship because. Obviously, they have a lot of conflict and they fight each other in a lot of ways, but clearly here they can work together really, really well because they each had their job. So through this thing, Jim was the one kind of directly making the pitch. So he's saying, we can offer you our biggest discounts on 30% recycled and ultra premium laser. And then Dwight asks, can I use your phone? And so he starts sort of loudly 
typing into the phone and then, you know, putting the numbers, like when he breaches the automated system and you have to put in three, seven, et cetera. Through all this, Jim is still kind of playing it more straight. So he says, let me talk to you about a few other things we can offer. Namely, we know the tax season is coming up. So by April 1st, we can have you fully stocked. We have discount prices on ink cartridges and also any of the forms that you're going to need. We can custom make them. Um, and then the man, the man that they're selling to says, well, I appreciate what you guys are saying, but uh, it makes more fiscal sense to go with the big guys. Dwight, sure. Jim, sure. That's true. We can't compete with their prices. But let me ask you something. How important to you is customer service? It's very. Then on the phone, please keep holding. Your call is very important to us. And then Dwight comes in. Mm, that's one of the big guys. Been on hold this whole time. And Jim takes out his phone. He dials and gets, this is Dunder Mifflin. Um, or sorry, Dunder Mifflin customer service. This is Kelly. And Kelly, oh my God, Jim, how are you? I wanted to tell you, I love her excitement when he calls. But man, this is just a tightly delivered, masterful sales pitch. I agree. I, I did wonder like what would happen if the box store picked up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how would they manage that? Um, they, they definitely get, is it luck? Is it, I don't know, that they kind of have tried it before and know how long it's going to take? Um, but things timed out for them in a very serendipitous way, if you will. Um, but man, they really, they know what the customer's concerns are. They're already anticipating from the very beginning when he starts that call, they're anticipating the counter argument mm -hmm. and they are meeting it with evidence of why, yes, your concern is legitimate, but here's the thing you're actually more concerned about and that's customer service. And we've got that. I'm curious as we go on, which pitch would work best on you? I suspect mm -hmm. this one. I suspect this one. And here's why. You love textual evidence. Uh, I feel like I, I lose fights with you when I don't have a good, you know, uh, piece of evidence to support my argument. You come back at me with that red pen, you know? So I feel like, and I also feel like you like forthrightness and so, or at least yeah. the performance of it. And so yes, the performance of forthrightness, we can't compete with their prices. You know, you would appreciate that, that like, uh, seeming, uh, yes. candidness, candidness. Yes, I would. I would. Can I say the other thing I really like about, well, maybe two things. So just, just got to recognize Kelly because she also, like if Kelly didn't pick up or right. if she wasn't so positive and wonderful, it wouldn't have worked. And she was not in on this. I think that that was good to be clear about that, that she was not in on it because she's surprised to hear from Jim and very, very happy to do so. The other thing I love about this is when Dwight, his sales prep in the car and he. Yes. <laughs> I love this. When they both, Jim gets out and Dwight asks for the keys to get back in the car and Jim says something like, oh, you're still doing that thing? And he gets in and he turns on the music so loud. It is Motley Crue. The song is Kickstart My Heart. Um, it's so loud. And he's like playing air guitar and banging his head on the um, headrest. And it is just so 
funny. And it's great. I just I think it's a good move. I I totally agree. It's so it's very charming. I think they yeah, like you kind of get a I don't know, sibling vibe with them in this episode. I yeah, think. you do. You they do. Work, they can click in and, and yeah. Well. Um I think he understands something too about how like, you know, you gotta go, you gotta get yourself in the right mind space to get confident to go in there and perform that kind of confidence. Yeah. Do you do you do that, Tyler? This is my question for you. Do you have do you like to use a psych up song if you're gonna go do something big where you gotta be brave and all that? There are certain songs that I will hear now and I like almost can't listen to them because they were so tied to hyping me up for like a particular job interview or yes. a particular, you know, job talk or whatever. Like, I mean, it's usually that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, even teaching, but yeah, no, I totally, I related to Dwight here. I was like, yeah, like I need to hype myself up to try yeah. to gain, you know, like believe in myself when I'm feeling intimidated by the circumstance or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting just because we don't think, I don't think of Dwight as ever having vulnerability and he doesn't yeah. really seem to have it here, but implicitly. You're right. Yeah. Cause you need something. Because you don't picture Packer needing to listen to music in order to get up his swagger. Right. He just, he just brings excessive confidence. But for many of us. Do you do this too? That. I do. I do do this too. And one that comes to mind um, is interviewing for a job and doing it. At, it was at a conference in Boston. Didn't get the job. Didn't get a call back. But um, the song, there's this flogging Molly song called Shipping Up to Boston. Oh, I love that song. And, and the thing, so the conference was in Boston. And so this was like my song for that event. And, uh, you know, maybe a little sad now that it's a failure, but um, still a great, a great psych up song. One for a job that I didn't get was uh, Florence in the Machine, and I think it was Dog Days Are Over. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't listen to that song much anymore. <laughs> well, maybe I'll take that. We can exchange. Yeah, we'll switch. We'll switch. <laughs> yeah. So on their way back from the sales call, Dwight says, I like Karen. She's pretty and appears intelligent. Yes. Um, uh, my girlfriend is also beautiful and smart. She could be a model or a college professor, which is intimidating to a lot of guys. <laughs> and Jim says, we should go on a double date. And Dwight says, no, thank you. <laughs> I think this is interesting. I mean, I do think it reveals what Dwight is attracted to, uh, which in addition to looks is intelligence, at least as he assesses intelligence. But yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I think that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Rarely do college professors get talked about this way. I, I know. <laughs> so we're just like grasping on to anyone thinking it's a hot thing to be. Specifically a woman college professor, right? Uh, yeah. you know, so this feels. <laughs> well, as Dwight says, it can be intimidating to a lot of guys. <laughs> um, My. One thing I, I think Jim is that my top charm moment for Jim is when he responds to Dwight when he says about Karen, she's pretty and appears intelligent. Yeah. Jim responds, well, I like pretty women who have the appearance of intelligence. Uh. <laughs> Just kind of zeroing in on that appearance of intelligence rather than 
yeah, she's pretty and she's smart. Just right, 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 right. That I don't know for sure. And he's right. He doesn't, he doesn't know for sure. Should we jump to Stanley and Ryan? Uh, <laughs> yes. Because I'm thinking we'll get to Michael and Andy and that'll take us to Angela and Pam. Um, okay. Yeah. That plot is all tied up. So, yeah, I was dying for your t- hot Stanley takes because I feel like you always are really interested in when we get a Stanley episode or when we get some de- more details on Stanley. Um, and you know, that we don't always get a lot. And this was a really interesting one that he chooses Ryan, uh, yeah. which surprised me. His and second choice after pass. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, then, you know, Ryan is basically like, can I take the lead? Uh, Stanley says, sure. Then he shows up and he's like, okay, like the kid's going to do it or, you know, Ryan's going to do it. Yeah. And I'm going to go work on my crossword. <laughs> What I got out of that, because I initially thought, is he just fucking with Ryan, like, from the from out the gate? But on my second watch, I was like, I'm not convinced that Stanley's fucking with him. I think that it is entirely with Stanley's kind of, like, laziness. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm a little concerned about the connotate, the like, the racialization of laziness, um, given that, well, I mean, I guess we have one other black character on the show right but we don't really see daryl as as frequently any in any case but he's basically checked out and he's gonna be on his crossword puzzle and i felt like actually that's always what stanley would do in any situation is like he does not want to do work and so um so i started to think maybe he wasn't like intentionally kind of um uh sabotaging ryan but just being like okay great i don't have to work and then ryan kind of sabotages himself because the people are like all right great what do you have for us ryan uh and he freezes up which i was unclear why like does he freeze up because they're all black and he's white or does he freeze up because he has no idea how to make a sale i just yeah i couldn't yeah explain all of this to me Well, I, I thought, I mean, I think he probably also maybe doesn't know how to make a sale, but I think he is just totally taken aback. And how many, how many guys are there for? Yeah. Is it three? I can't remember. Um, But they come down and they're standing. And I think he is just not anticipating, oh, all of these are going to be black guys. And I, I think he's thrown by it and that it, just show something really interesting about white expectations and about the normalization of expecting who, like, who is it that you're going to see as these, and they look like corporate executives or something like these people are all the higher ups who they're talking to. And they're all there in um, suits and looking all serious and all of that. And who is he expecting in that position? It's not them. Cause he has this moment of kind of looking surprised when mm. he just sees them and he mm. sees who they are and he does this little look at Stanley. Um and I, I thought about this and I thought I probably wouldn't have made note of it if Stanley went in to sell to a boardroom full of white guys. Because mm-hmm. that would just kind of fit an expectation. And he's probably done that many times. Mm-hmm. Um but this really kind of throws that into 
into relief. Like what's, you know, what's going on when um, you are racially categorized with the people, you know, people often say the, like, you know, Stanley, if if you look like the people who are there, I'm like, well, I don't know. I always feel a little weird about that line. Cause I'm like, it's not like everyone in a racial group looks alike. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That like, do people look like me? But um, there is definitely that dynamic. Like, what is it to walk into the sale and be the only black person in the room when all the executives are white versus in this case, flipping that and having Ryan be the only white guy. Yeah. And you don't have to feel whiteness until you are in the minority. Yeah. Like it's something, right. That can just be kind of invisible. And so I think for Ryan, he doesn't have to feel his race a lot. Right. And, Oh, I'm thinking about this great Zora Neale Hurston line in an essay where she says, I feel my color come when I'm thrown against a white background or something like that. And I feel like Ryan really feels his color come mm. here. Mm. Oh, that's so smart. And yeah. And like whiteness kind of emerges as like awkwardness and yeah. yeah. And a strange formality, right? Like, so he greets and shakes each one's <laughs> hand, you know, as yeah. an attempt to, I don't know, you know, um, ingratiate himself or something so no that's so smart and then it's really funny uh to see stanley laugh afterwards like in the car yes um, compares ryan to his uh like six months old niece or something like that i can't remember the yeah that's fine that's exactly it i Uh, i actually felt like this was also related to that personality mirroring thing or appearance mirroring thing so like Phyllis and Karen did, you know, making yourself look more similar to the people you're selling to or making them think that you are more similar to them. I think we can talk about how Michael does some of this too when he's making the sale. But I think that impulse to try to build similarity with people you're selling to or you're buying from, we see Ryan showing up and not feeling that. Yeah, that's smart. It's interesting. It's the only one where we don't. Okay, so we know that Michael and Andy fail. We know that Phyllis and Garen succeed. We know that Dwight and Jim succeed. But we don't know one way or the other, do we? That Stanley and Ryan succeed or fail. Like, we don't know. Presumably, (laughs) he failed to make a sale. But we don't get any confirmation. Like, right? That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I don't think we do get confirmation. I just wonder if these guys, like, if if they already had a relationship with Stanley, like, if he has sold, because it seems like most of these people have sold, or the like the um, Dunder Mifflin people have sold to the the this set of clients before that interaction. So I did wonder a little bit if they already have a relationship with Stanley, and you know, in order to continue that and continue supporting Stanley they would just go for it they were also so nice yes they were really receptive and really they were not cold to Ryan or or anything like that they were very receptive when Stanley said you know I'm gonna have him do a little a little pitch for you while I stand off to the side and do my crossword the way that that's delivered is hilarious and Ryan the actors playing Ryan like his performance is really funny the way that he looks over but (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're making me think to maybe there is, you know, to go back to my first reading, not not necessarily that 
Stanley is like fucking with Ryan or setting him up to fail. But it is presumptuous on Ryan's behalf to say, or on Ryan's part to say, let can I take the lead? I mean, he asks, you know, and Stanley agrees. But if the understanding is that like these people have all cultivated relationships and you, your goal yeah. is kind of like ride shotgun and learn something. Yeah. Learn. That is a yeah. good point. Because both he and Andy don't learn anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Karen does arguably. Um, yeah. But what's odd about that is like Karen and Andy are sales people already. So yeah, that's true. Nonetheless. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but perhaps Stanley was like a little bit like, all right, you know, fine, you, you take it. Yeah. But I'm going to help you out if you're, you know, going to displace my, I don't yeah. know. I do, I, I do love seeing Stanley really enjoy something. Yes. Just in this whole thing. And first when he tells, when Ryan asks if he can do the sale and he says, nothing would delight me more. <laughs> and just, you you already mentioned his his laughter in the car afterward, but I love that cut to him laughing. He is just having such a good time, and Stanley is so often bored that I just really like to see his joy. Okay, so now it's time we gotta we gotta get to it, which is the the Andy Michael pairing, the dream team, um, yes. or as Andy describes it. Where is it? Uh, he says uh phd doctor of sales um we have this is our like second reference to you know college professor phd you know maybe that's why this episode uh spoke to me but so andy basically like his plot here is that um five he says five of us transferred from stanford there are two of us left me and karen it's like we're touring Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and dropping off one by oh, one. Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm not falling in a chocolate river. <laughs> uh, and so his plan is to chip away at um, uh, Dwight's allyship with Michael. Now, the one thing that confused me about that, I was like the way that it's framed, you would think that he wants to get rid of Karen. Um, but I guess Dwight has been his most obvious like uh threat for power for the for the yeah. assistant regional manager position yeah. um but so andy says i'll just read this into the record um here's the good news every success i've ever had at my job or with the lady folk has come from my ability to slowly and painfully wear someone down um and then you know <laughs> we'll get it. it's amazing here's the thing i'm just gonna say is that like when I feel cringe in this show, mm -hmm. sometimes it is because I am afraid that I am like the terrible people that I'm cringing at. <laughs> and there are moments where I'm like, oh, my God, am I Andy? Like, am I what if I'm like, have I ever been like Andy? And not in any particular way, but just this. I, I think, you know, this idea that uh, I don't know, I. I <laughs> That you that he has to like work really hard for people to like him, and like he has to have some sort of game plan for it. I feel, made me cringe. <laughs> made me feel a little like, uh oh. Um, so, so you you don't mean that you relate in your ability to slowly and painfully wear down the lady folk? No, I don't do that. Just to be clear, 
just to be clear. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, I do feel sometimes like my my um yeah, like I feel like I'm I meet some people and I'm like, I would like to be your friend. <laughs> I want to make that happen. And uh oh, I shouldn't oh, we're gonna cut this out. I'm gonna revise and regret all of this. But Andy makes me feel no, uneasy. Not. He makes me feel really uneasy. And I think it's because there's this part of me that's like I kind of get the idea of like feeling that you are ex you you're like kind of excluded from a social Mm -hmm. scene and then you need to find a way to ingratiate yourself into it or something however my god he is the worst and <laughs> it's really evident in his sale the sales with michael but i'll shut up what's what's your yeah. take on the on the on the michael andy of it all it is well i i do love your connection with andy and i know what you mean there are things where I do feel like, oh, the like the only reason I've gotten that I've gotten this is that I have tried so hard and not in the way where it's like, yeah, I worked for this. I deserve it in the way where it's like you worked way harder than anyone should have. It must mean that you are like, <laughs> you know, starting way behind. And yeah, you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That like, yeah. you know it just it just takes scrappiness and an embarrassingly long struggle to do something um tyler what's your relationship to willy wonka and how does that affect your relationship to andy <laughs> you know i am like willy wonka agnostic i don't have really? yeah i don't i know that that may surprise but i do not have like a nostalgic attachment to this book or to the movie i have seen the johnny depp version and it was fine uh mm. i don't you know but i like you know my partner hates willy wonka <laughs> with a with a passion that is to my mind out of proportion to the object of of rage and uh Jen feels the same way about Charlie Brown, by the way, which we'll have to come back to. She like fucking hates Charlie Brown. Okay, that's a separate off the pod conversation. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But um Only because I got I... a lot of feelings about it and I'm gonna fight her directly. Ooh, okay. All right, I want to get into that. Um on Charlie Brown, but not on Willy Wonka. Yeah, what's your relationship to to the oh, Wonka? I hate Willy Wonka, but honestly, really? I kind of thought you'd be I kind of thought you'd be a Willy Wonka guy. What Willy what what kind what's a Willy Wonka guy? <laughs> just just a supporter of Willy Wonka. <laughs> you know, I dated a guy who was a teacher, <laughs> and at the end of every semester, he would um play the final scene in Willy Wonka where he says to Charlie Bucket, um, like uh you don't you don't they're like good day, sir. Like you broke the rules, you don't get you get no more of me, like leave oh. and and he would play this for his students he still does i believe as a way to sort of like i don't know kind of communicate to them like i'm done with you or something what? <laughs> yeah it's really bizarre um hopefully he won't listen to this but anyway um did you have to slowly and painfully wear this guy down to get him to be your friend no. oh <laughs> that desperate okay <laughs> No, not because of you, just because he seems maybe a little too mean for you, Tyler. 
well we broke up so um <laughs> but uh yeah now that i'm thinking about it i'm trying to think did i slowly and painfully wear you down to make you my friend <laughs> oh no i plotted for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> but wait so okay um tell me why you hate uh the wonka uh i don't know just just creepy and weird and he, he's just kind of unsettling yeah i agree okay. uh, he's killing children and you know is I he know. i guess that's right i mean the weird thing is i just i guess it's kind of like love you long time where i just like i have this impression of it i don't have the full context on it but i have made a judgment call and uh i don't like him well i think it's also just as racist uh yeah i think roald Dahl is like kind of problematic i might revise and regret this but i'm i thought like quite problematic but also the oompa loompas are basically like slaves or they're they're definitely like uh uh an enslaved labor force of color that i believe i can't i think the backstory is he's taken them from their indigenous land and <laughs> to make so candy in this factory i don't know i mean i'm sorry i called you a willy wonka guy <laughs> i take it I, know, I was like the fuck are you saying i'm a colonialist like what I'm, gonna revise, I'm gonna just revise and regret that right now um well i'm, I'm glad we got a t-shirt i'm gonna get a t-shirt that says wonka guy <laughs> <laughs> oh god um, okay so Andy is he's <laughs> I don't know. wait what were you gonna you gotta yeah give me your vibe on the Andy Michael <laughs> okay let me tell you the other the other great line from Andy <laughs> this is when he's sitting and waiting <laughs> on the drive they've had to stop for the bathroom <laughs> and so Andy's sitting outside of this outdoor bathroom waiting for Michael and he said my plan is taking longer than I thought but I don't give up easily I have walked two marathons so <laughs> i i don't know what there's just something really really funny about that that it's this claim i i don't know about yeah about not giving up easily and that is very true because marathons are very very long but the fact that it's i've walked two marathons and i guess that relates to the slowly and painfully wearing someone down where it's like i will just slowly persist and i will eventually get through this and it is going to take me many hours, but I get there. So I just thought that was a really funny, really great detail about Andy that he's watched two marathons. I also really enjoy it when then right after that interview, right after he says that Michael walks out of the women's bathroom. Yes. And then he says the men's was disgusting. Is it's there a trans reading of Michael Scott? <laughs> elaborate please <laughs> i don't know i'm just saying i shouldn't laugh so hard i mean we've done plenty of queer reading of michael scott let's let's see yeah, i'm just saying you know i'm just flagging it now maybe we'll keep track of it or whatever but it does it is an interesting choice and line um yeah. and uh especially also given some of the queer coding of him totally I, I totally didn't even um clock that i had forgotten about it so that's yeah i'm so glad you reminded me yeah i was thinking of when andy is talking about um uh, he's just so ham-fisted in his you've ascended a, a really amazing team at scranton it's 
really a pleasure to be a part of it. It's like everyone has their own special skill, you know, just like the super friends, except for Dwight, who's more like a super dud. Um, and then, you know, just keeps, but like it kind it kind of doesn't work on Michael. Yes. Kind of does. Like, I think the only reason he, you know, Dwight is essentially forced to quit is because Angela won't let him reveal the truth, which I don't fully understand why, but we'll get to that. And then Michael presumes, you know, based on the information at hand that like he's been betrayed again, but he just kind of box boxes him in and it's like you're gonna tell me by the end of the day so yeah. i'm not fully convinced that andy's like manipulation is working just yeah just the fact that he presents the receipt and that that's confirmed by jam yes yeah i actually i thought it was really good how much of what he says just rolls right off of michael so when he says, for example, he's talking about the shrewded it thing. Like, oh, I really shrewded it up. Like, it's a word for screwing something up really badly. And he asks, I wonder if that comes from Dwight Schrute. And I think it's so wonderful how Michael's response is something like, who knows where words get formed? I love that. <laughs> like, it just doesn't land. And yeah. yeah, it's great. So I love Michael in that. The one other thing I'll say with the bathroom thing i just really appreciate it that he doesn't care actually and that um you know he's not so devoted and tied up to having to be in the men identified bathroom that like if it's disgusting he's just gonna go in the other one yeah yeah i appreciated that about him he likes cleanliness you know likes he likes cleanliness he likes a clean a clean bathroom and so um yeah, there were just lots lots of really funny little details in this. Speaking and then of, that takes us to their actual sale, which has a lot of those. Is that where you heard me A reference to his stepdad. Jeff is back. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Go up there with his stepdad to Lake Wallam Paul Pack. Yes. Uh, which I thought was very interesting. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, what did you make of Michael Andy's uh, pitch? Wow, Andy is brutal in this episode, or in this scene. He is so annoying. So Michael, I like when we see that Michael is a good salesman. I always like seeing upsides of Michael that help us also understand how he got here and why he's got his job and all that. So he goes in the first line from, or I think the first line from Michael. Correct me if this is wrong. I'm just looking at my quote on my page. But he looks at a picture of a fish and asks the guy, hey, did you catch that at Lake Wall and Paul Pack? I used to go up there all the time with my stepdad. Never caught anything that big. And so he is making a personal connection to the guy. He's appreciating his fish. So he is complimenting him in that way. He's doing some good, friendly self-deprecation. Never caught anything that big. But just establishing this good rapport with the guy that he's trying to sell it to. And Andy just repeatedly destroys it. But he also gives us what is one of my favorite lines of the episode. So after Michael mentions the fifth the fish, Andy jumps in and says, I caught an 80-pound shark off Montauk. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'll try to hold myself together. 
I got an 80-pound shark off Montauk. It's in the Hamptons. My dad's got a 42-foot bayliner, sniped it with a rifle from the crow's nest. (laughs) Also shot a deer once. So, sorry, just the fact that Andy shot a shark. It's like kind of upsetting, but also so funny. (laughs) It's sort of like in the last episode, you know, when everyone's talking about what Dwight is doing for the recording. And then Andy says, like, I'm what is it that he says he's doing to Phyllis? Something with a knife. Oh, the chainsaw. Uh, I'm cutting Phyllis's head off with a chainsaw. (laughs) So it just scales to this so weird and so inappropriate. This (laughs) also like that, too. You're just, you're on this fancy boat. It's not, like, that is not what fishing is about. <laughs> and you shot the <laughs> Shooting sharks. <laughs> I love how this has broken you. I don't know that I've ever seen you laugh this much on the pod. <laughs> you're broken. I realized how funny I thought it was, but wow, I really, I knew that I loved it. I knew I laughed every time we hit that. I think this is great writing. It's so good. It's so specific. So smart. It is fitting for Andy. And it's just so bizarre and original. I, I love it because, and maybe this is, I, you know, redundant, but, um, like Michael's strategy is to diminish himself, right? And to say, I never caught anything that big, you know? So he lets the buyer feel bigger, Uh right? And he's like, you know, similarly saying, Dunder Mifflin may not be flashy. We're just two rooms in a warehouse, but we make up for hard work and decency. On the one hand, it's like, it's um, humble, uh, but appealing in that way. And then, you know, but even with the fish thing, it's like, expressing his being impressed by this person drawing a connection but putting himself slightly lower but not in a in a in a like whatever i don't know an extreme or excessive kind of way but andy cannot understand any social interaction where he i mean in this way he's very much like michael normally but like andy doesn't understand that the point is not to win the fishing contest right like the point (laughs) is not to and and more importantly, that everybody like you want the guy to feel like he's the big shot mm-hmm. and you don't want to, um, I don't know, like how to put it like, yeah, I don't know, be ostentatious. And yes. so uh, yes, this is ostentatious. That is right. These are the things that would impress Andy, which I think is also telling like Andy is into the Hamptons montauk you know uh the 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 his dad's yacht like old yeah. money yeah old, me, it's like east coast old money the line that makes me die uh is andy saying um this is the classic undersell because you should know we don't work out of a log cabin we trade on the new york stock exchange <laughs> ever heard of it it's in new york the way that he says ever heard of it like so huh? pretentious and uh and humiliating you know it's so goddamn funny and so funny uh, and michael is a really good salesperson i was like holy crap like he really is when he he says he says i think what andy is trying to express is that while we have the resources of a large company we will give you the care and attention of a small company 
it's like, damn, Michael thinking on his feet and just so smoothly explaining that. Watching his face, though, as Andy is fucking up the sale is so funny. But I think your your point about his self-deprecation, like he really has down this art of self-deprecation that is, like you said, you know, you don't go too low. Like it's not groveling. It's not really being super right. about yourself, but it's a kind of jovial, fun, um, and friendly connection building kind of self-deprecation. So here's my question that I've been dying to ask you ever since I saw this episode, which mm. is, um, if Michael Scott can be this charismatic and deft in social, in, in the, in the sales interaction, why can he not do that in ordinary social interactions? And I wanted to know if you think what, like, is what makes him a great salesman, what makes him bad outside of the context of selling? Like, mm -hmm. are they a trade-off? Like, to be good at this, you also can't be kind of socially adept in other ways? Or is it something, yeah, I don't know. Because I don't necessarily believe that in general, but it's striking that Michael's good here in ways that normally he would be bad. Oh, that's a great question. I think, I think there's something. So with sales, making a sale is a performance. And so I think there can be something about performance as this sort of reserved and different space where you are not yourself. I think about this all the time with teaching or the way that you could perform in teaching, for example, you could perform a kind of extroversion and like lack of awkwardness that does not translate into the rest of your life at all not speaking about myself um, <laughs> but the way that like you can because performance I, I feel like with a sale like you're getting into character in a way and so there is this separation where it's not the same thing as who you are day to day and so it seems like it seems like there's something different like he's he's really good at getting into that character but when it's more about his genuine and ongoing interactions which is not to say that he's being being fake here or something like that beyond the point where to sell is always to perform and to have some degree of fakeness i guess but to me, not necessarily with its negative connotation. Um, but in the cases where it's like about the people who he's working with consistently, who he really wants to love him beyond the point of just making a sale, it's just a different space. That's so interesting. And and we kind of see that in all of these, um, I don't know, performances or context to some yeah. degree or another. Um, yeah, I really like that idea. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about these two Michaels? I don't know. I I was kind of intrigued by the idea, but I haven't really fleshed it out in my head that like being good at X somehow potentially like makes you bad at Y. You know, yeah. that, that it's like yeah. a trade. Like um, 
I don't know what the what's the word for that um cost word, or something say again like cost benefit sort of or yeah yeah something like that and and um because because Michael is kind of renowned as a salesman or so yeah, he is and this is. is really one of the few times we get to see it in action. I mean, we saw it yeah. with Chili's, we saw it with Pretzel Day, but um, there will but be more. There will be more. We'll have to return to this, but but I yeah. like your idea that like in this, maybe maybe what it is is that yeah okay. So let's let's go with the idea for a second that part of Michael Scott's problem is that he doesn't really understand social scripts. Like he kind of gets he gets. Like, I think that that's partly why he's attracted to comedic bits and like mm. you know, certain kinds of, yeah, I don't know, uh, bits or, or performances. He wants to be a comedian. He wants a script. And mm. when you're selling, there is a script to stick to, right? Like there's a very clear goal. And to a great degree, there's like pretty stable, like, um, boundaries or or roles you are the yeah. seller this is the buyer your goal is to get them to buy the thing right and yeah that's so he, right yeah. andy doesn't understand that he's like would we even want that guy to buy our paper and it's like yes you know because for andy it's like about association with you know he wants to be mm. you know only with people that he thinks are whatever whereas michael values the sale partly because he values people um, yeah and wants to be liked by them i don't know so, yeah but but i like your idea that maybe in this space of performance it's unique and special and maybe what it is what is distinct about it is it's bounded and clear in a way that he seems incapable of understanding the rules and in other interactions i don't know especially okay. when he's not the boss i love that point about the script yeah like how those roles are you said bounded and clear like it gives a structure to it a clear set of expectations and so he doesn't have to worry there isn't the same problem of those subtleties um because yeah you can understand the role and fill it and he does it really well i you asked me before i think who i would be most likely to buy from it would be this it would be michael scott um yeah. Yeah. Even though, and I think partly because I would feel so intensely for him, like his frustration at Andy too, and the way that Andy is being a complete idiot. By the way, at the end, when he squeezes the back of Andy's neck to stop yes, him, yes. and you kind of see his anger, it is so good. Um, but I love self-deprecation. I find it completely charming. So if he talked like that about the picture of a fish on my desk, I would be like, sold. <laughs> this works. Who would work best on you, Tyler? Uh, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for the listeners at home, I almost made Megan spit out her drink. And that is uh, really thrilling to me. That's often my goal of the pod. So. Okay, well, as you said, you know I like textual evidence, so why Ryan? Because he's a hottie. No. Hi. Um, hi. hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, probably Michael Scott. I mean, he's he's very yeah, I think I think he his appeal to this like hard work, decency, we're humble, but you know, we have good values. It is so this kind of 
um, small town American narrative that I feel that we are um, like programmed to mm. feeling. Um, and it it is appealing in contrast to staples or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but uh, but who needs paper anyway? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's all it's a digital world. So, um, <laughs> paper in a digital world. Now they come back to the office. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was uh, I was trying to make a self correction of a future future episode that says something like selling paper in a paperless world. <laughs> Ooh, I'm curious. Um, okay, so they come back, you know, so the other plot we haven't really dealt with, but we can kind of dip into here. Angela, uh, we said, right, she she forgot to send in the thing. I was a little confused about the context, the backstory, but I also didn't care. And or yeah, at least plot wise, <laughs> um, Dwight helps her out because he's in love with her. And she doesn't want him to reveal that. And I couldn't fully understand whether it was out of not wanting her, um, you know, um, mask of perfection to be punctured or stained, mm -hmm. or whether it's truly, as she says, like she doesn't want people to know their private business, their, their, their intimate relationship. So mm -hmm. uh, um, Andy has made Michael suspicious. Michael, uh, it, um, there's one line that is really important I need to read into the record he says Dwight betrayed, b Dwight betrayed me once before so this is his strike two you know what they say fool me once strike one but fool me twice strike three and I was like this has got to be a reference to George W. Bush famously saying uh, you know we I'm, I pulled it up um, there's an old saying in Tennessee I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> um, oh, I did not know that. You remember that you don't, you didn't hear this before? No. Or, okay. well, I, I forgot it if I did. Yeah, this was in 2002, September 17th, 2002. Um, and it got incorporated, I believe, into... Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11 documentary that came out maybe a couple a year or two later. Okay. Um anyway, and it was one of those like Bushisms. So uh, it reminded me, I keep forgetting that like Michael Scott is kind of a commentary on George on the president at the time, who is this folksy, you know, presents himself as like a down home. A uh, humble man who, you know, uh, who says, who tries to say, you know, aphorisms, but like fucks them up. And, Tyler, you really did bring this back to America. <laughs> I told you. I told you. Commentary. Wow. So, um, so anyway, that leads us to Dwight's. Uh, it's supposed to be okay. fool, fool me, fool me once, shame on you. Feel fool me twice, shame on me. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But wait, what does Michael say? Strike three. Strike three. Okay. <laughs> um, and so then Dwight basically resigns, which um, I was wondering if you wanted to read Dwight's resignation speech or if you have thoughts on it, because it is Dwight's resignation speech. A work of art, in my view. All right. Please, I want you to give me feedback on my delivery. <laughs> oh, I will. I, I want will. you to correct, make any corrections that I that I should make. Okay. 
Ahem, ahem, ahem. May I have your attention, please? This will only take a moment of your time. Although I love this company more than almost anything in the world, I've decided to step down from my post and spend more time with my family. I do not fear the unknown, and I will meet my new challenges head on, and I will succeed. And I will laugh in the faces of those who doubt me. It has been a pleasure working with some of you, and I will not forget those of you soon. But remember, while today it is me, we all shall fall. In other words, I'm quitting, so. Cut to Andy singing the Oompa Loompa song. Which I, that cracked me up. Um, and it did make me want to ask you how you feel about the word douche, because he calls Dwight a total douche. And I was wondering, um, what do you think very about it? Very comfortable with it. I use it regularly. <laughs> me too. I like it a lot. So, but I wanted your permission to use it. Um, <laughs> as the, you know, as the spokesman for women. As the spokesperson for women. No, I spokesman. Douche. You know I like spokesman. <laughs> I'm going to cut this. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> no. Um, I just love the speech. I looked up to see if it was a reference to anything. I was like, oh, is this more Lenin and Mussolini? But as far as I could tell, not. You know, it smacks of the politician stepping down to spend time with family. But yes, it just made me laugh. So, yeah. What did you think about all this? This plot, this um, <laughs> situation? Uh, great Dwight speech. He really brings wonderful drama to it. It does have political and dramatic vibes to it. Typically people say they're going to step down from their post and spend more time with their family when they have like a wife and kids, like that kind of family. We know he's got Moe's, but I don't think he lives with anyone else on the farm. So I guess he's going to be spending some time with Moe's, but it's just interesting that that's, that's just the available line for like what you say when you're quitting is that it's to spend more time with your family. I like it that he knows he will succeed. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> also, it is a pleasure. It has been a pleasure working with some of you. Yeah. Not forget those of you soon. So it's not that it's been a pleasure working with all of you, or it's been a pleasure working with you just as a general, let it kind of capture everybody, some of you. So I, I appreciate that specificity. And I felt like Dwight was a man of honor here. <laughs> <laughs> um how so because he protected angela's uh anonymity i i felt like this was just a moment of integrity i mean angela is being a total douche here like making him lose the job so that she doesn't have to come out with this like ridiculous ridiculous maneuver angela is maybe even worse than andy in this i don't know but that Dwight still, I don't know. It just, it, it felt this was a real, real fall on your sword for your lady kind of moment. Um, not that I'm promoting that move necessarily, but I, I did feel like, like Dwight had integrity. I like that. I think, I mean, I think that that's true. I think it's, yeah, I was like, dude, don't do this, but yeah, I love the line. Well, today it is me. We all shall fall. Yeah. <laughs> So funny. it's like what are you even talking about what does that mean but um yeah and it's kind of sweet he comes out he gives his his belongings to michael scott except for a few things and then he yes. hugs hugs uh jim i loved angela's line dwight from sales 
was one of the most <laughs> honorable and efficient employees this company has ever had. Like the way that she acts like she doesn't know. And then yes. later the camera zooming in on her rageful face. Yeah. As Andy's, as Andy's in the, the interview area. Um, so Dwight, he pulls out of, out of the box a couple of bobbleheads to keep, but he does have an American flag mouse pad in there that he gives to Michael. <laughs> just to connect it back to your America points and yes. Ryan, I believe this is the very final line that goes to Ryan. Is that right? Yeah. When he says Dwight will be missed, not by me so much, <laughs> but he will be missed. <laughs> Wonderful example yeah. of the passive voice. <laughs> 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 if we say Dwight will be missed, we do not have to clarify who it is who will miss him. <laughs> now, would that be who misses him or who misses him? I can never remember. Who misses him or he will be missed by whom? Got it, got it, got it. Got it. <laughs> but I think we should do away with the word whom and just get rid of that rule entirely. I think it's incredibly dumb. That makes me feel better. About that's another it. that's another hot take for another day. All right, Megan, I think it's time for us to stroll on over to Chili's, uh, oh. order a Presidente Margarita, <laughs> and let the Dundies the, begin. Uh, designated driver, let's go. Uh, would you no. like to kick us off? I would. I have two awards to give out today. The first, I had not thought of before, was not going to give this out, but you actually persuaded me to do it. It is the Art of Self-Deprecation Award, and it goes to Michael Scott. Whoa. <laughs> um, just really wonderful sales technique. Very charming, Michael. <laughs> uh, my second award is the Amazing Race Award, and it actually goes to a team, Jim Halpert and Dwight K. Schrute. Wow. Because of the teams, they were by far the best. Well, mm, no, I shouldn't say that because, well, why am I revising and regretting mid-delivery here? Just to clarify, or a qualification, I want to acknowledge that Karen and Phyllis were also a fantastic team, but really that all came from Phyllis. Karen didn't know how to do any of that. She was a good sport, and she was along for the ride, and she went with it. But in terms of really amazing race quality team, Jim and Dwight. I love it. I love it. I love that you couldn't help but throw some shade uh, uh, at, at the at the team that is getting my Dundee. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, this is the Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves Award, and it goes to Phyllis and Karen, but specifically to Phyllis, really, because I just thought she showed some solidarity. Um she took Karen into her confidence. She gave her, you know, I, I, I thought she was like a, a, a mentory kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really for Phyllis. Um, then uh, I have the big idea award. Ooh. And it goes to Andy because Andy had the idea for the teams. Oh my God, Tyler. In the first place. And it ended up being such a delightful treat for us <laughs> as an episode. So it wouldn't have been possible without Andy's big idea. So thanks, Andy. Wow. Uh, that, you know, that does really fit your theory that 
the Dundee should be someone who is really essential to moving the story forward. But I have one more Dundee. Whoa! <laughs> Which is, uh, maybe still fits that theory, but um, but it's only because of you. You um, you convinced me, but it's the Man of Honor Award. And it goes to Dwight K. Schrute. A man who loves a smart woman and a college professor and uh, and and will uh sacrifice himself for her honor so uh tyler i salute you dwight Schreck. i want to show you my notes i crossed this off but i had on my note as one of my dundies the man of honor award no up. way <laughs> no way <laughs> yeah I decided to replace it with Michael's award because you convinced me that Michael was um, really excellent. But uh, but yeah, I just want to endorse that award. I can't wait to see the, uh, the the stats or whatever for the awards at the end of this season. I'm really curious. You know, we gave out a lot of awards just now. I know, I know. <laughs> for the record, for my spreadsheet, your... Um, Sisters Do It For Themselves award. You kind of wavered on whether Karen was included in that. I think it should go to Phyllis. I, I want it for Phyllis. It goes to Phyllis. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Both of us are like, fuck Karen. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like Karen. She just, you know, she just didn't rise to that level. It There's a there's a difference between an A and an A minus, and she just didn't quite get there. That's right. Not enough textual evidence. <laughs> That's right uh what's the next episode do you know um i do not recall <laughs> all right hold on hold on hold on season three episode uh what is it 14 yes, we will find out 14 uh oh but our crap scripts call it 13 the return the return okay oh, we've gotten to the return and then after that, we've got Ben Franklin to look forward to. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. All right, well, so we're two episodes out from one of the episodes that makes me cringe the most. Really, Ben Franklin does? Ben Franklin. Holy crap! Oh my god! All right, I'm ready. That's gonna be well. In the meantime, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>